Okay, let's get to the Bible study. If you have your Bibles, we are in the book of Revelation. We're in Revelation chapter 22. We're going to finish out the book of Revelation this morning. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and Greg will get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Revelation chapter 22, we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 21 this morning. Anyone need a Bible, just raise your hand. The title of my message this morning is, Even So, Come Quickly. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together to be in your word. Holy Spirit, knowing that you are here in this place to teach us and instruct us in all things. We ask, Lord, that you would bless our time together. We pray your blessing upon our children downstairs as they're being taught the word at this very moment and worshiping you. Father, we pray that if anyone has joined us, that has joined us, that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you, they're not born again this morning. We pray, Lord, you'd especially touch their heart, that come to know you as their Lord and as their Savior. Bless our time together, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we close out our study in the book of Revelation, I don't know about you, but I have absolutely enjoyed it. I'm ready to go back to chapter 1 and start all over again, going through the whole, whole book of Revelation. And we were told, in fact, in chapter 1, verse 3, that we would be blessed if we went through it. It says there, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Really, the, the book of Revelation is the only book that motivates us, uh, its readers, by promising a blessing who read it and obey it. And I tell you again, uh, uh, it's been such a blessing. We know that the word revelation actually means unveiling. What has revelation revealed to us as we've studied it? A lot of things. It's revealed to us heaven and hell and angels and demons and the future. It's revealed to us that the great tribulation period. It's revealed to us Armageddon. Revealed to us, yes, the Antichrist. But the main emphasis on the book of Revelation has not been the Antichrist, but Jesus Christ. The main point of Revelation is to unveil or reveal to us Jesus Christ. Now we have noticed when we began our study in Revelation, we were given a divine outline. Very simple. In Revelation 1.19, John was instructed to write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things that will take place after this. Three categories. Three, uh, the things that you have seen, uh, John uh, the, the, was speaking to, was, this speaks of Jesus. This is what John saw. John saw Jesus actually there, was alive with Jesus. The resurrected and glorified Christ with all power on heaven and earth. The revealed Jesus who is in complete control of all that is about to happen. He was told to write the things which are. That's a reference to the seven churches and the seven letters to the churches found in chapters 2 and 3. And we looked at the churches, starting with the church in Ephesus and ending with the church of Laodicea. Sort of kind of like a, a flyover of church history. Starts with the church that was in danger of leaving its first love. And it ends up with the church so messed up that Jesus is on the outside trying to get in. You might say that it starts with an apostolic church and ends with an apostate church. Then there are the things that will take place after these Things. After what things? After the church age. The church, all true believers in Jesus Christ, are called up into heaven. We're raptured uh, in the first part of Revelation. We're off the scene. And then the great tribulation period 
begins. Chapters 4 and 5, the church is taken up into heaven. We get a glimpse of heaven. Then chapter 6 all the way to chapter 19 is a great tribulation period. Chapter 20 is the millennial reign of Christ. Chapters 21 and 22, the new heaven and the new earth. I mean, this book of Revelation, it's like an action thriller movie all put into one. I, I mean, it, it's, it's drama, it's suspense, it's a mystery, it's, it's horror, it's everything you want in a hit movie. That's rebellion and, and economic collapse and the ultimate war of history. But despite all of its ominous happenings, it bursts forth with hope. It bursts forth with joy. Revelation comes to a conclusion with a happy ending as sin and death is banished forever. It's actually true that in the end for us as believers, we do live happily ever after. Story with a good ending. Now that brings us to our text this morning. Three times in this section of Scripture, we're told that Jesus would be coming quickly. Verse 7, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. Verse 12, uh, and behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Over and over again, Jesus attests to the suddenness and the soonness of his coming. Mind me of a story about a young preacher who was going to seminary, and, and they were trained to memorize their sermons and that kind of thing. And he was preaching his first message at a church. So this was kind of a, a test for him. And this passage was this passage, Behold, I come quickly. So he got up there without any notes whatsoever, and he says, Behold, I come quickly. But he was so nervous uh, that he forgot his first point. He forgot what comes after that, and he's racking his brain trying to remember the first point. The deathly silence of the audience made it even worse for him. So he said it again a second time, only a little bit louder, hoping it would refresh his memory. Behold, I come quickly. But still, uh, his mind was blank, and, and I thought, this is serious. This is not good. So for a third time, he got a little bit louder, a little more dynamic. He pounded his fist on the pulpit several times, leading to make his point, Behold, I come quickly! But as he did, the pulpit tumbled off down the stage, down to the first row of the pews, and landed on this 80-year-old man who was sitting there. Uh, the pastor, I mean, he gets up and he's totally humiliated, totally embarrassed, helps the old man up and says, I'm, I'm so, so sorry. Is there anything I can do for you? I'm sorry. And he kind of straightens out the man's jacket from the fall. But the old man says, no, 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 I'm all right. I should have known. You've warned me three times. <laughs> I'm coming quickly. I'm coming. I'm coming down. Jesus wants us to know he's coming quickly. And in no doing that, uh, we have three points this morning. If you're a note taker, we're going to see three things uh, in anticipation of Jesus' return. Number one, the faithful word of God. Number two, the finished work of God. And number three, the final witness of God. First and foremost, the faithful word of God. Look at verse six. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophet sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Now, we have read about heaven and the glories of heaven and this new heaven, and it almost sounds as if it's too good to be true. So John wants to reiterate these. He says, these words, they're faithful. They are true. Listen, the Bible is totally, completely reliable and true. 
It's, it's an amazing book. It stands up to the strictest textual criticism that's out there today. It's been found to be the most reliable uh, book, text, than any other literary work in history. 66 books, amazingly put together over 1,500 years using three different languages, 40 different authors with different professions, yet from the very beginning to the very end, it speaks and all points to Jesus Christ. And it really doesn't matter to me how many men criticize God's word. They say it's not God's word. It doesn't matter how many degrees they hold, how many letters are after their name. You know, the bottom line is God's word is faithful and true. You know, a verse in the Bible that really sets that mentality straight for me, if they criticize, if they come against the word of God, if they seek to undermine it and contradict God's word, I always go back to Romans 3, verse 4. That says, let God's word be true and every man a liar. Because what we find is that the word of God is 100% historically accurate. For example, there was a time when people actually believed the earth sat on a large animal or, or a giant. Seriously, they thought this. But 1,500 years before Christ, Job said in Job 26.7 that God hangs the earth upon nothing. I mean, think about that. You know, you can't hang anything upon nothing, but, but, but God can. The, the, the science is there. Science didn't discover it, and the earth hangs upon nothing until 650 A.D. How about this? Many years ago, people actually doubted the Bible when it says in Hebrews 11.3 that the things that are seen are made up of things that are not seen. People would read that verse, and they would laugh at that. They'd mock it. That is until man dug a little bit deeper and found this little thing called an atom, that which, is, uh, which you can't really see, and that everything is made up of atoms that are unseen. They found out that they are all put together into these arrangements, and that is what we see. We feel it, we touch it, and things we see are made up of things that we don't see. Listen, God's word is true, it's reliable, whether we understand it or not. And yet, let me say this, it's just as reliable when it comes to end-time scenarios as well. One of the signs of the, of the last days were given in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. Folks, we are seeing that today like never before. It's not just a cultural thing. You know, we're seeing it in churches like never before. People that are looking for churches where the pastor is going to say and teach things that are just going to make them feel good about themselves. Actually, that verse there speaks of those that, that people who have an itch for novelty. They want someone to come along and that will say something that will soothe them. That will pacify them. But certainly not something that would challenge them or, or, or even worse, confront them or convict them. Listen, we have a job as preachers of the Word to do just that. Preach the Word. And not to compromise on it or, or if it's politically correct or not. But this turning away from the truth of something the Scripture said would happen in the last days. And we see it happening all around us. Last week I mentioned a drag queen leading a worship service at a United Methodist Church in Illinois. In a church. Same-sex marriages are being performed in churches today. Homosexual clergy. All of these things contrary to the Word of God. 
Paul told Timothy, it would be that way. Listen to 2 Timothy 3, 1-5. Know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Welcome to the United States of America. (laughs) We're seeing stuff like this in our culture today. God predicted it in detail, how things would be specifically, and without question it's coming about just as he said. And if you speak out against it, no, it's hate speech. It's hate speech. He said, oh, that could never happen. Last summer, David Lynn was arrested for preaching on a street corner in downtown Toronto. It happened there when there was a clash between him, the preacher, and the LGBTQ community. Maybe you saw last week, Arthur Palowski, a Polish-Canadian pastor from Alberta, Canada, was arrested for allegedly organizing a church service that ignored COVID social distancing rules and mask mandates. Congregation chased the, the arresters, the, 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 the police force out of the church, but then afterwards, in the streets, they arrested him. In an interview with Fox News, he told host Laura Ingram that Canada has no rights whatsoever. He says, what we have right now is some kind of hybrid between fascism and communism and medical tyranny. And he warned that the U.S. would be next. Now, the Bible says it would lead this way. When it comes to the end times, there would be a one-world government, a one-world religion, a one-world economy, a government that would make the policies for the whole world. So that could never happen. Listen, the push for globalism is stronger than it's ever been before. We have the World Health Organization dictating what we can and cannot do, where we can and cannot go with our president right there beside him, in fact, giving us that ultimatum, vaccinate or mask up, obey or else. On top of that, all you have a man who thinks he's a woman wanting to run for governor in California. It's it's a mess. It's nuts. But listen, the Lord said it would be this way before his return. What about what's going on in the Middle East right now with Israel? Hamas firing rockets there into Israel. You know, the Bible says quite a few things about Israel and end times. Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-four. God promised Israel, it says, For I will take you from among nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. May 14, 1948. That prophecy was fulfilled. Israel was regathered as a nation just as God, God's word predicted. But that's not all. Ezekiel thirty-six thirty. God said this, I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you and I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your field so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. Prior to 1948, Israel was a wasteland. Nothing grew there until God's word was fulfilled. Now the wasteland is turned into the number one export for produce in that area. God's word is true. Zechariah 12.3 tells us, And it happened in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. We are certainly seeing that today as well. 
Zechariah 2.8, For thus said the Lord of hosts, He sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. You know, the Hamas should take a look at that and, and be warned. I mean, not only are, are they attacking Israel, they're using women and children as a barrier to, to, to make Israel look worse. You know, God's other warning was, you know, woe to you if you harm one of these children. The, the warnings are out there. But here's my point. God's word is reliable. Whether at times we understand it or not, God says this is what's going to happen, and it's going to happen. And this goes back to Revelation 1, 3, and us being blessed. Blessed is he who hears, he who reads the words of this prophecy, and keeps those things that are written in it, for the time is near. Folks, the time is near. And what is being said in these last few verses of Revelation is that the reading and the hearing is over. Now all that remains for us is to keep what we've learned, to keep what we've studied. Verse 7, Jesus says, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. You know, when I was a kid, I, I played with marbles. In fact, I have a little clay pot that, that my little granddaughter Madeline plays with the, the marbles. And I know you could play with fun if you were a kid, remember this, or you can play for keepsies. Now, play with fun is after you're done playing the game, you get your marbles back. But playing for keepsies, man, if you won that kid's marble, you've got to keep his marble. And if it was a really cool marble, then, then you wouldn't play that marble ever again because you wanted to keep that marble. You held onto that marble. Well, that's a word used here for, for, for keep. For, it's, it's keepsies, not really, but in the Greek, it, it's, it's terio, where it means to guard or to garrison, to preserve the words that are written here. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. James tells us to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the words deceiving ourselves. So we hear the word in order that the word will affect the way in which we live. Keep the words of this book, Jesus says. Well, what did the words of this book of Revelation tell us to do as a church? Well, chapter 2 told us, return to your first love, the church of Ephesus. It told us, don't fear any suffering that may come your way to the church of Smyrna. Don't give yourself over to idols. American or otherwise, to the church of Pergamos. The church of Thyatira, don't allow sexual immorality to be a part of your life. Chapter 3 told us, be watchful and strengthen the things that remain. The church of Sardis. The church of Philadelphia told us to hold on to what you have that no one may take your crown. And the church of Laodicea, don't be lukewarm in your relationship with Jesus. So we need to keep those words, keep those things that Jesus said that our behavior might be altered. Listen, it's no good to just hear the words and the warnings of this book and not do anything about it. James says you're deceiving yourself. You know, one of the first things I found out when we you know, moved out here some 21 years ago is the tornado horns that go off when it's about to have a tornado here in Missouri. And I also found that the people that have lived here a long time, they don't get all freaked out over it. First, first year here, oh yeah, you're pretty freaked out over, what's that, what's going on, you know, hide, everybody hide, and people are walking around, but they go off, you know, and that, that message flashes on your screen, tornado warning, you know, in your area, then you hear the horns go off, then you see the green sky, maybe you see the wall cloud that people talk about, then the funnel cloud, and then your neighbor's cow flying past your window, and you're going, you know, Raleigh probably should do something about this. The signs are there. 
Jesus says, behold, I come quickly. We've got his word on it. It's going to happen. He's coming soon. Horns are going off all around us. It would be complete foolishness not to be prepared. He says he's coming soon. We need to believe his word on it. Keep his promise in our hearts. God, guard the promise in such a way that it affects the way in which we live. Because he can come at any moment. In fact, we're told in 1 John 3, 3, he who has this hope uh, purifies himself just as he is pure. Knowing that the Lord could, could come back at any moment, it ought to keep us out of certain practices and behaviors. You know, think about this. If the Lord came back last night at midnight, would you be excited or would you be, uh, uh, you know, maybe, oh, no, I don't want the Lord to catch me doing this. Would you be asleep? That would be great. I fell asleep, woke up, I'm in the Lord's presence. John put it this way in 1 John 2.28, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. We need to be those that are watching and ready, guarding the word, keeping the word in our hearts and in the forefronts of our minds, so that we might live in a way that is pleasing to the Lord, not ashamed at his coming. So John has heard all this. He's had a vision for heaven. He's blown away by it. He's blown away by everything he sees. And now we read in verses 8 and 9 that that he begins to worship an angel. Look at verse 8. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, see that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant and of your brethren the prophets and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Hold on there, little buddy John. Get up, get up, get up. Do not worship me. I'm I'm just a servant just like you. Here's what you need to do. Worship God. I find it interesting. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8, speaking of Jesus, says that the angels worship Jesus. We know from the gospel record that when Jesus appeared to Thomas, after you know, the, you know, when Thomas didn't see him the first time, the second time, Thomas says to Jesus, my Lord and my God, recognizing that he was God, that he was who he said he was. He worshipped him. Even when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, and Satan comes alongside and said, hey, listen, if you worship me, you don't have to go to the cross. Just worship me, bow down, and, and you won't have to go through all the sufferings. And what did Jesus say? You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only you shall serve. See, our, our, our God is the only one that is deserving of all of our worship. People today, they worship all sorts of things. You know, athletes, actors, actresses, you know, the musicians, movie stars. They idolize people they worship, they give great worth to. That's what the word worship means, to give great worth to. Nothing wrong with giving great worth to, to your, spouse or your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend or your children or your families. Nothing wrong with that. But in comparison to God, nothing deserves your greatest sacrifice, nothing deserves your greatest efforts or your time more than the God that we worship. And we ought to worship Him and Him alone. So we see, number one, the faithful Word of God. Point number two, the finished work of God. Look at verses 10 and 11. And he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Now we looked at that briefly last week. We know that, that what we know is that Christ and his finished work on the cross really settles the issue. 
Either you're forgiven, either you're born again, or you're not. You're not saved. Jesus is the great divider. And once we leave this world, the issue is settled once and for all. Either you were saved or you're not. This verse is saying there are no second chances once we leave this, this earth. But listen, right now, there's still time to make a change, to come to Christ today, and that, that decision will determine your future with the Lord. I like the way Pastor Chuck Swindoll paraphrased this in his commentary in Revelation. He summed it up this way. You wrongdoers, go ahead and keep doing wrong. Just see what happens. And all unclean sinners, keep rolling in the mud. Just ignore God's offer of cleansing. You will see what's in store for you. As for you righteous and holy saints, keep practicing righteousness. Keep being holy and you will get your reward in due time. I I like that. Next verse 12. Jesus says, And behold, I'm coming quickly. And my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Second time here we read that Jesus is coming quickly. But he adds here, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. This is the A to Z in the Greek alphabet, the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. That three times here in Revelation, he calls himself the Alpha and the Omega. Three times in Revelation and three times in the book of Isaiah, he calls himself the first and the last. What's interesting in Revelation 1.8, it is the Lord God who says he's the Alpha and the Omega. In Isaiah 44.6, we read, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last. Besides me, there is no God. And here, Revelation 22.13, Jesus says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. You want to trip up those cults that come knocking at your door, denying the deity of Jesus Christ? Do a Bible study on uh, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. All points to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All points to the fact that Jesus is God. Now verse 14, Blessed are those who do His commandments, that they, they, they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexual immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Now we looked at the tree of life last time together, but here the Lord says again, we are blessed if we not only keep His word, but do His word. We're going to be on the inside. We're going to be enjoying heaven, having a great time. But He says on the outside, there's going to be dogs, sorcerers, sexually immoral, and so on. I want to point out that the outside spoken of here are those that are in hell. That's what it's, it's talking about here. And let me tell you, it's not only going to be terrible enough for them to be in torment, to be in this place called the lake of fire, but their agonies are going to be intensified by the fact that for all eternity, they will know that they're on the outside. They'll have full knowledge of all that might have been theirs in heaven, now God forever. Because again, there are no second chances. And, and their shame and the scandal of their sin will haunt them forever and ever and ever. And they'll remember all the neglected opportunities they had to, to come to the Lord. They'll remember the friends that, that shared with them, come to Christ, be born again, and yet they reject it. I believe that hell is going to be so much more unbearable because of the thought of all that has been lost by rejecting the finished work of the cross. Rejecting the sacrifice that Jesus made by dying on the cross for your sin and my sin. You see, the finished work of Christ settles the fact of who we belong to. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. We belong to Him. And these words are for us this morning. 
The Bible says, uh, Jesus, uh, that God's word says, I'm my beloved and he is mine. His banner over me is love. That's your SOS for the Bible to remember just how much God loves you. I say SOS because it's in the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 4. That's why Jesus said, look at verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. This brings us to our final point this morning, our final verses of the book of Revelation. Number three, the final witness of God. Look at verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come, and let him who thirsts come, whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. I love this. The last invitation, the last part of the book of Revelation, come. That word is all throughout scripture. It's an invitation. Isaiah 1.18 tells us, Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. Isaiah 55.1 Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Jesus' words, Matthew 10.14 uh, rather, 11.28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Mark 10.14, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. John 1.39, He said to them, Come and see, speaking of that Jesus had risen from the dead. You see, God invites all to come. Here we read, The bride, the church, should be inviting those to come as well. The invitation is clear. Him who hears, say, come. And him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Invitation is clear. Folks, we are the final witness in these final days for the Lord. Judgment is coming. We have His word on it. There is a heaven. There is a hell. And once we pass from this life to the next, that's it. Every decision you've made is done with. It's done for. Here's God's final invitation to all people. That they would come to Him, that they may have life. That they may be prepared. Spared from living a life of misery right now, presently. Living without peace. Spared from living without hope. You know, when someone dies today, the unbelieving family, they have no hope. What do they say? What do they do? So they go out and they get drunk. They try to, to fill that emptiness, you know, and hopelessness with drugs or alcohol. But it doesn't have to be that way if they would just come to faith in Christ. Come to me, all you who labor and have related, and I will give you rest, Jesus said. Take my yoke upon uh, you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. The invitation is clear over and over again. Come to me. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Those of us that have taken in of the blessings of the water of life, those of us that have taken in of the Word of God, the Spirit of God, we're told to invite people to come into this relationship. We have that responsibility. Why? Because we have a hope. We have a, a hope in who we have that is holding on to us and taking care of us. And because of that hope, we should be the happiest people around today. We should be the most joyous people. But what I find, and perhaps you see this too, we see people, and, and they look at a society, they look at the culture, oh, this is horrible. And they're Christians, this is horrible, this is, look how bad that is, look how horrible this is, this is, this is really bad. Oh no, yeah, yeah, I'm living for the Lord, I, I'm bearing my cross, I, I'm carrying for God, yeah, I hope I make it to heaven. Really? <laughs> Doesn't that just really make someone want to commit to Christ? Oh yeah, man, you're really, really encouraging me here, you know. Why would they want your life? You seem so miserable. 
Or maybe it's the other way around. You say, oh, come on, give your life to Christ. But you party, you, you use filthy language in your windows, you gossip, you cheat, you lie, you steal. Why would they want what you have? They already do all that stuff. You're not being a faithful witness to Christ. Listen, the way that we live, the way that we walk, people ought to see Christ. They ought to see the fruit of the Spirit, the joy that we have springing forth from our lives. So that when Jesus says, whoever thirsts, let him come, they're going to want to come. They're going to want to meet Jesus. They're going to want to have their sin forgiven and be born again. See, the last inviters are the Spirit and the bride, and the last invited are the hearers of God's Word. So let me say this as clear as I can. If you're hearing this Word and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the invitation is clear. Give your life to Him. Whoever desires, let Him take the water of the life freely. Today, sadly, the problem is that many people are drinking from stagnant water, polluted water, stagnant ponds that never satisfy. And no matter what you get, no matter where you go, no matter what little trinket you buy, it's not going to do it for you. You know, what car, what, what, what relationship, nothing will fit you. All those things will not satisfy the longing in your heart. The things that people are searching for can only be quenched with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah, there are ponds in this world that are polluted, and some of them even call themselves churches. And people are drinking of the poison week after week. But they come home unsatisfied. They may look good on the outside, but, but they're missing that relationship with Christ. That's why Jesus says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Finally, our last warning here in the book of Revelation. Look at verse 18 to 21, 18-19 first. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. God says, don't mess with my word. Don't change it. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Just believe it, study it, and live it. We're not to mess with God's word. You know, this book opened up with a blessing to all who read it, hear it, and keep it. It opened that way. But it closes with the condemnation to anyone who would take it upon themselves to change it or alter it in any way. God said what he meant and meant what he says. You know, our Jehovah Witness friends, our Mormon friends would do well to take heed to that verse. Loose paraphrase, don't mess around with the book of Revelation. This is also talking about a person who would deceptively disobey, disregard, distort, or dilute Scripture. In other words, people twist the scripture in order to accommodate their lifestyle choices. Instead of exegesis, which means to go to the text and let the text speak for itself and properly interpret it, they do an eisegesis, which means to impose your view upon the text. Here's what I believe. Now I'm going to twist this verse to support my view of what I believe. That's adding to it. That's taking it away from it. God says, when you do that, watch out. God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book and take away his part from the book of life. Finally, grand finale of Revelation, third time Jesus says he's coming, look at verse 20 and 21. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I'm coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. I like that. 
He who testifies of these things says, hey, know that I'm coming soon. And, and John says, oh yes, please come soon, Lord Jesus. As we close, can you say the same thing that John says this morning? Are you ready to say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus? You see, this, this chapter can help us really take inventory of our lives and see where we're at. Are we faithful to the Word of God? Are we uh, secure in the finished work of the cross? Are we being that final witness for God? Are you ready for Jesus to return? Are you one who, Second Timothy 4, 8 says, are, are one to love His appearing? Not that we shouldn't have goals. Not that we shouldn't have plans. Not that we shouldn't be excited about things. The Lord could tarry. I'm excited about what God has in store for us. We had a work day on, on Saturday at our property on North National. Blessed by all the guys that showed up. Got all that work done. But, but you know what? If we never finish that and we go to heaven, I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm great with that. You know, leave it to the heathens. I don't know, but, but um, <laughs> it's a joke. But if the Lord would tarry and have us, have us finish it and complete it, that's awesome. We can use it for God's glory. I learned today, and we should learn just that, that God has, Jesus has the right to intervene in any place of our lives. We put our plans in pencil. Okay, Lord, I, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know you hold my tomorrow. God can change plans in my life at any time. Finally, the last thing, are you urging lost sinners to trust Christ, to be ready for his return? See, that, folks, it's the Spirit of God working through the church of God to bring lost people to the Savior. Are we telling them? Are we sounding the warning? Are we being a witness? The sound of the tornado horns are going off. Jesus is warning. He's coming soon. You know, if people don't listen to the horn, the horn still goes off. In the same way, we need to continue to sound the alarm because when I look around and I see this world, I, I see the wall cloud I see the cow going past my window. I mean, judgment is about to come. So we want people to listen. We pray for, for people's salvation. If they don't know the Lord, that they would stop the direction they're going, turn from their sin and turn to Jesus Christ. Let the folks see the Spirit of God working in your life. Let them see how God has changed your life, what He's done for you. Let them know what He's done for you, what He's done for me, that He can do for them. And finally, if you're here and you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, don't leave here without making that commitment to Him. Surrender your heart and life to Him. Maybe you need to rededicate your life to Him, knowing what God's Word says. Hey, God, in the times that I'm living, I want to be sold out for you. I rededicate my life. Do that this morning. Make that commitment to Him. You'll be blessed. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word uh, this morning. It is true, Lord. Lord, help us to take it in. Help us to apply it. Lord, allow your Holy Spirit to change our life through your word. And Lord, we are excited about your soon return. But in the process, Lord, your word tells us to occupy until you come, to stay busy, Lord, doing those things that bring honor and glory to your name. So, Lord, we ask for doors to open up that we might be that witness in these days that you've given to us. With, with that, whatever time we have left, that we might uh, share our faith, that we might bring glory to you in all that we do, all that we say. And finally, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you, they're not born again this morning. Lord, would you especially touch their heart. Help them to see their need for you. Lord, if there are those here that need to rededicate their life to you, that they would do so this morning. To say, Lord, I want to live for you. I want to uh, uh, 
put this stuff and the, the way I was living in the world behind me. I want to be sold out for you in the days in which I live. Lord, we know that you'll answer that prayer. You'll answer the prayer of a repentant heart, Lord. We do pray for that. And finally, again, Lord, we thank you for uh, just the, the Martin being here and the blessing of worship that he has done for us. Bless him and continue to lead him as he, as he goes out and ministers through music all over the United States, wherever you have him, Lord. Uh, and just thank you for this time this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.